Welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. Today, we have another legend of a guest, uh, Sammy Cassidy. He is the head striking coach over at MMA Southside. Now, we're going to be digging specifically today about Dungu fever. And is it Dengu or Dungu? Dengue. Dengue. Dengue fever. He's had it twice. So this podcast is going to focus first on what he went through, how he got it, and how he's feeling today. And as we always do in the Fruiting Body Podcast, telling his life story. How did Sam, how did Sam Sammy get here? What's he doing here? What's next for him? And we're going to learn about his journey. Um, definitely rambling and over talking. So if you're tired of that rambling, we got timestamps. You can navigate, see different chapters of what we discussed today. If you want to know who we are, we are Fruiting Body Podcast. So we're doing Fruiting Body Mushrooms. Stuff like nootropics, cordyceps, lion's mane, reishi. You can check us out. Link in the description to Lazada. This is exclusive for Thailand only. And do not forget to like, subscribe. That helps us out. We're growing uh, quite quickly now, and we want to get this up to 10K. So uh, without further ado, Sam Cassidy. So I kind of fucked that up. I was like, Sam, Sammy, and just got in my head. So again, we're going to kind of jump into the dengue fever. We'll talk about uh, his his life, his journey, why he came to Thailand uh, without all that hippy-dippy bullshit. And uh, a little bit about how we first met with Muay Thai and mushrooms and where the fuck that content is who knows it's coming uh so first of all thanks for joining us and let's just jump right into it um dengue fever you got it how did it happen what was it like um so well first of all thanks for having me on the show appreciate it um so this is the second time i've got the fucking ding uh so songkran last week so it's been nine days or ten days since songkran um classic you know, tourist thing, which is ridiculous because I've been here for so long now. My first ever motorcycle accident, copped a big bucket of water, um, you know, trying to turn into a bar, you know, which is fitting. Trying to turn into a bar, a bit of gravel, all that slid out. Uh, obviously thought, well, I'm at the bar, so don't worry about the rest of this shit. And, uh, you know, started drinking beers all day, hammering buckets, carrying on. It was actually the day before Songkran. And, um, yeah, you know, drank myself to sleep, you know, woke up the next day. I'm like, oh, I better get down to the Songkran. Didn't look at my leg. Like, obviously, could feel the pain and shit like that. But I was like, oh, well, we just, you know, the show must go on, as they say. So, yeah, uh, went down to Soitayid and met up with a few people there. And then the rest is history, unfortunately. So went from there, you know, spent the whole day there. People, you know, we're walking around with buckets and people are soaking their, their dirty water guns into the buckets deliberately. And yeah. I'm thinking it's hilarious at the time. Like, ha, ha, this is the best thing ever. Uh, went to work Friday, which was a bit rougher just in general. And then, yeah, Saturday I just made – I was sitting down with one of my mates, uh, Will, and I just got hit like a ton of bricks straight away. It was just – it was like an impact thing almost. And I knew like I'd had a similar feeling before, like I had – when I had dengue in the past. And um, funnily enough, I rang Jay Pato, who you had on here as yep. well. Because he'd only just recently recovered from dengue. I was like, brother, run me through the symptoms again. And he's like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, fuck. And then, yeah, Sunday was bedridden, man. Like, couldn't move. I physically couldn't even open the top of a water bottle. How do you think you, you got it from a mosquito bite or the dirty water? I think, so the doctor said to me, once you've had it once before, you're susceptible. It's like one of those things. It's like glandular fever. I think it's always in your body. Obviously, I'm no medical student. I couldn't, but it's uh, like as soon as my immune system starts running low and, you know, between probably ignoring the pain of the, the motorbike crash, drinking, you know, two days of that, not sleeping well, my immune system shot down, all the dirty water from Songkran and things like that, the mixture of that, and then possibly uh, like another bug bite or just mm. resurfacing the yeah. old thing. Or it could be like, and the bacteria, like, I mean, you're getting all the filthy water in the cut. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. And I was not shying away from anything like. Yeah. And plus there could, so maybe that, I mean, that could be a myth. Like maybe it's not just from mosquitoes here. It could be from yeah, like well, just like, bacteria. And obviously like the, you know, the language barrier didn't make things very simple. They're just like, yeah, dengue, go away. And I'm like, sweet. Well, that's all I need to know really. So does it last like a couple of days and what do you well, do to this kind time of. Was, the last time I got it, I was bedridden for seven, seven or eight days, like completely bedridden. This time I was like five days, but I, um, I took a bit of advice from a friend of mine, which was strange, but I knew last time I couldn't eat. And he said to me, he goes, bro, don't have any like medicine. Don't do anything. Just water fast the whole time. And I was like, well, it's not, and not, not any different to what I'm doing anyway. I can't eat. So I literally water fasted, tried to make sure I got like eight liters of water every day. And I bounced back 
within about five days. Mm. And, you know, now it's probably been 10 days since Songkran. I'm still, like, very hot and, you know, a little bit weak and things like that, but, you know, able to hold a conversation. And What, what, are, the, what are the symptoms? Like, oh, what, man, what are you like, Is it aching? It's like, par- it's like, paralyzed, like being paralyzed. Like, you're... It's... It's just, yeah, you just like, you feel like you're rubber. You can't move your bones, everything, your joints kill. You're just sweating profusely nonstop. I went through like four different, you know, bed sheets and linen and stuff like that. It was, it's like, it's painful, man. It's worse than any, like, you know, post-fight, anything like that. Because like I said, like your whole strength's gone. Like you can't physically get up. You want to, like I wanted to have a shower just to, to, you know, get the sweat off. You'd have a hot shower and you'd feel freezing cold. So you'd make it cold, then you'd be hot and then like, you just you're always on the e- the worst end of the spectrum. Is it kind of is it like you're feeling inflation infla- inflammation in your in your joints? You or? kind of feel like you're rubber. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And you just like you can't really you can't really maneuver. You can't do anything. And then it starts becoming like a bit of a mental battle because you're like, why can't I just fucking sit up? You know? Mm. And then like I said, you're just sitting there and just profusely sweating like like nothing you've ever seen before. Interesting. Like I'll be you know sauna ah sauna sorry. Aircon on at like 24, 23 degrees, and I feel like I'm in a sauna. It's just like, it's, yeah, I don't, I actually don't wish it upon anyone, but like I'm getting good at it now, you know, two times. So, I'm, you know, third time I'll probably be over it in three days. Well, I heard, isn't it something like if you get it the third time, it could be deadly? Uh, I'm not too sure. I haven't, to be honest, I haven't looked that far into it. I yeah. was just like tackling what was happening at the time. Mm. But I, if I, I fucking hope I don't get it a third time. Yeah, I heard something that then it can, it can get, to the level where it affects like your respiratory and like you need to go to the hospital. Someone was telling me like, don't get it three times. Probably Jay. Jay was, so when Jay had it, he was fucked. But then I, when I was getting it this time, I was like, this feels like it's going to be really bad, but it actually came out. Came well, we, we brought some, pro- uh, this isn't even a plug. I actually just thought of this. We were going to give this anyways. Um, the cordyceps. Well, we'll hand those over. Um, obviously take, take at the end of the show, but cordyceps, they're they're used primarily. Do you, do you know what the cordyceps mushroom is? No, I'm not. I'm not actually familiar. Cordyceps with it. is they call it like the the alien mushroom. There's a new show on HBO called The Last of Us. Um, it's about the zombies getting taken over, and it's by mushrooms. These cordyceps. Now they basically look like Cheetos. You can see on the front of the bottle. That's what they look like. It's easy and to digest. Yeah, and <laughs> it's it's just pure energy. We have ginger in that as as well, but. A lot of people have Lyme's disease. Lyme disease take this, oh, no way. and it kind of can boost the immune system back. Like any type of mushroom, it's doing so many different things. It depends, but hey, try the, try them out. Hundred percent. Thank you. Yeah, try Appreciate them out it. and see if it does anything. Um, I gave to a, a lot of the athletes I've given to here, and it kind of it boosts VO two max levels. So they're like, they'll call me up and they're like, "What the fuck was that?" Like they get a little bit of an extra boost. I mean, it's not. The juice, but it's, yeah, but it's yeah. noticeable. Yeah, it's noticeable. I Perfect. take it usually swimming because I can't run; my foot's all messed up. But yeah, it definitely works. Um, so not too much on that plug, but on our second plug, uh, we want to give a big shout out to uh, Five Star Marine. Five Star is a private speedboat yacht tour company on the island of Phuket. They are making this entire production of production of the podcast happen. So you can go check them out at at Five Star Marine Phuket. Links are in the description. And the main advantage of working or sorry, going with those guys on their tours is you can customize your own tour. You do not need to listen to a captain direct you where we're going today based on everyone going there. So you can get away from the crowds. Uh, Again, check them out. Five Star Marine Phuket at Five Star Marine Phuket on Instagram. Okay. Um, So back to the podcast. Uh, just a couple more things about the dengue, dengue. I have like verbal dis- dilect, uh, dyslexia. Um, now, when you get it, r- right when you get past it, are you like, is it a switch? You can come back and get back to work? Or are no, you calling no, up very you're calling up the boss and you're like, fuck, I'm, I'm done for a couple days here. Yeah, well, or so five days. on the Saturday night when I was eating dinner with, with my mate, I was like, fuck, man. We were supposed to, uh, his mom was in town and all this stuff and we we're supposed to go out. I was like, I'm going to go home. Like, I just don't feel that good. By, so say that was 7 p.m. By 10 p.m., I was just fucking, like, in so much agony. It just hits, like, a ton of bricks. But coming out of it, it's just progressive. Mm. Like, uh, the day before yesterday was the first day I just went back to the gym and just, you know, like, as soon as you say dengue, everyone's like, oh, he's going to fucking infect the whole place. It's not, it's not contagious. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? It's such a, like, a synonymous word with people being ill. So everyone's like, even when I got there, people were like, oh, hey, man, you know I was like, you fucking morons, it's sweet. Like, I think, like, COVID messed it all up. Everyone yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
but yeah, just progressive. Like today, I'll be when it's my first day after this, I'll be going back to hold pads and get back into it. Mm. So it's just the um, like the immune system, everything feels sweet. The you know the mental side of things, I'm still a little bit slow, but I've always been a little bit slow, so I don't really know what to compare it to. But it's uh, more the physical. It's I just got to see how I'm going to go with impact again and holding mm. pads and all that shit. So. There's only one way to find out, really. Okay, I'll give you some lion's mane as well downstairs. Just it promotes nerve growth factor, and uh, I, I like like I'm trying to be a bit of a like a like a testing doctor or scientist. Yeah, like, yeah. hey guys, you got these problems? Let's try these out. There's only one way to find out, yep. mate. Uh, okay, so let let's uh, now that we you've you've arrived, you listened to the dang dangy fever, you've enjoyed that clickbait. We're gonna jump back into the actual podcast. Um, so as we do always on the Fruiting Body podcast, let's just start at the beginning your journey and why you came to Phuket. Like I've I've got my stories in like you know can go for five days. So mm. I was playing in a poker tournament. And ended up winning nearly $400,000. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so um, after that, I went traveling through Europe and stuff again because, I, you know what I mean, I'd had such a good time the first time losing my <laughs> my contract. So did all that with a friend. Uh, obviously met a lot of good people out there through that. And then um, I think it was like 95 days or 97 days of drinking every day. I was like, fuck, I need to change this up a little bit. I wasn't having the worst time. I was having a great time, but and this is all still kind of all under the age of twenty-five. Yeah, so I was twenty-three at this stage. So when you when you come into that type of money, especially from something, uh, I'm a poker player. Uh, I'm a bit of a degenerate gambler for sure. <laughs> yeah. But when you come into that money at a young age, like, how, what did how, what was your reaction? How did you handle it? What were you doing? Or was it just flying around? No, so I was still working at the time, obviously. And it was a Friday night and I was at Crown Casino with uh, one friend and it was really weird. Like uh, the way that the thing happened was it was a running bonus and I hit a Royal flush on the flop and then I got that. But the thing is, before I got there, my friend's like, oh, no, nah, I'm going to sit here. And he wanted to swap seats with me. So it was like a burning thing for him for his uh -huh. whole life. And um, it's like midnight and I raced home, got my check, like the security escorted me out of the place got my check, went home to my parents' house and I was like, fuck this and I've just, you know, done this. And my dad's like, all right, well, make sure you get to get ready for work in the morning. And I was like, all right, sweet. So I went to work the next morning with a fucking $400,000 check sitting in my in my pocket. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? You know, I thought the world would changed. It's obviously really good money, but it, it wasn't life-changing or anything, but my parents took some of the money, I took some of the money, I, you know, gave my family some, but my parents kept it for me. Uh, Probably yeah. the wise decision at that. Yeah, age. yeah, because the rest of it got pissed off so against the wall. This was in Australia or the UK? In Australia. In Australia. Okay. Yeah, yeah, in Melbourne. So, um, yeah, I, I continued working. You know, I was still doing six days a week in construction. Um, continued working for like four months, and then yeah, we went overseas, and that's when started traveling through Europe and doing. I think yeah, just under four months of just drinking every day. Kind of just backpacking Europe, going at all the, the a little bit runs. more than backpacking. You know what I mean? I had a bit of money, so yeah, yeah. I was I was still staying in hostels every now and then just to have a good time. And like uh, my mates that I was with at the time, they were like, "Fuck man, we can't really afford to be you know, staying at the Palazzo and shit like that." So it was still good. I was just able to do other little things. And then yeah, so it got to a stage, and one of the boys is like, "Oh, I'm going to go to Thailand and go to this fat camp thing." And I was like, "Fuck it, I got nothing else to do, man. I might as well come with you." And you know, I kind of missed training because my whole life was regimented, you know. Like, when I'd finished school, I'd go to training for golf or, or for rugby. So, I kind of missed, like, the aspect of having a schedule. So, um, yeah, we got on the plane. This is 2011. Got on a plane and um, arrived at Tiger. So, we, um, mate, when we got to Tiger in 2011, it was, like, a beautiful, like, jungle sanctuary. There was... No ATM, no Seven Eleven, like there was fucking three restaurants, two or three gyms, like it was just all greenery, you know. Like obviously now it's a fucking, it's, it's like its city. own, yeah, it's its own city. Yeah. So um, yeah, so we just got in pretty much straight into it. Uh, never did any Muay Thai. Never, even when I was young, playing rugby, being bigger and like, um, you know, places where I grew up and stuff like that. I fucking always used to hate people that fought in the streets and like. I was never really like a rough and tumble type of person. Like on the footy field, I was a bit rough, but I kind of just, you know, kept it all for where it went to be. And, um, yeah, started training Muay Thai at Tiger, um, just, you know, for fitness. And I was there two weeks later, they had the barbecue beatdown. And then they come up to me like, oh, there's a guy that needs a, an opponent, but he's really big, no one, no one else can do it. I was like, oh, fuck it, I'll have a go, you know. Didn't really know any different. So I'd been 
drinking for four months, training for two. And I was like, yeah, sweet, fuck it, I'll have a go. And uh, jumped in there and ended up knocking the guy out. And then uh, a love for the sport developed from there. And it wasn't necessarily the fact of, like, knocking someone out and punching. It was, like, being able to test myself, you know, against someone that's been preparing to do the same thing. Because, like I said, I'd played rugby, um, you know, a very team-oriented environment. And golf was always something that I enjoyed more because it's, like, you know, you're the person responsible for the outcome. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, after that fight, I kind of took it a little bit serious straight away. Was this guy experienced or kind of the same level? He'd as been you? at the camp for six months training. So still kind of. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, it was just, I was like, oh, fuck this poor guy. Like, you know what I mean? If I get beaten up, so be it. Everyone's going to expect him to win anyway. He's been here for so long. I've been here for two weeks. And um, yeah, from there, it just fucking snowballed into what, what's ah, Okay, sorry. Out. I thought you said two months. Okay, yeah. Two weeks is a... That's a game changer. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd been there oh, for okay. two weeks. Yeah, sorry. I thought you said you're saying two months. Okay, that's... Yeah, that's not a lot of training. No, no. I'd been there for two weeks and I was still kind of... Drink, I was still drinking at the time too, you know? Like, that's Saturday night, the weekend before I was out at Patong, so... Mm. But, um, yeah, it was cool. It was kind of like one of those... Yeah, not euphoric moments or anything like that, but, like, I could definitely tell that there was something that I wanted to pursue. And... Um, yeah, so I went from, from that fight and I trained straight away. Like, I didn't get injured or anything like that and kind of had that taste for, you know, the competition. And then probably two months later, three months later, I fought at Bangla against a guy that was, you know, I think he drove his tuk-tuk home from there, but it was still that whole experience and not knowing what was going through. And then, yeah, after that first, like, professional, which obviously isn't a professional fight, but no shin pads and stuff like that, I was kind of hooked. Is this at... Have you reached the full metal dojo days yet? Or no, is this, no, no. So this, this is, is pre- way before that. Yeah. This is like 2011, 2012. Mm. And um, yeah, from from that, it's just, yeah, snowballed into what's happened now. So, At which point when you're, I mean, initially you're kind of just training for fitness and whatnot. Uh, when did that kind of transition to, you know, I'm let's take Thailand serious. Let's make this a home. So in that first outing when we were out here, um, when we came for the fat camp, we were initially going to stay for four weeks and just, you know, because it was just on the way home. So you could just call into Thailand, train for four weeks and then get back to Melbourne. I ended up staying for nine months in that four week, uh, four week stint. So, yeah, I had three fights in that nine months. And then from there, it was just like, how do I work on making this like a permanent move or a semi-permanent move? And um, I was just from there, I was doing six months back in Australia because I was working in unionized construction. So it was very, very good pay and stuff like that. So I'd work for six months and then come over here for six months, go back. And I did that for on and off for four years. And then obviously from there, made really, really good relationships with people out here that are still here. Um, like after that first barbecue beatdown fight, I went to Patong and that's when I first met Woody. So it's just like when people would see us together, they're like, there's no way you guys are friends. Like the way we talk to each other and like – but the first night we're at what was used to be called Seduction. Yep. It was like one of the main nightclubs out here. And he came up to me and I like, just fought at the beat down, you know, and he's like, you're a big buffoon. And I went, yeah, yeah, you're right. And he goes, all right, well, should we go have a beer? I'm like, yeah, sweet. And then from that day onwards, he's been one of my best friends. So just, um, yeah. So Woody was one of those people that I credit a lot of my um, Phuket life to. Because when I was even like you know, contemplating coming back, I'd ask him, you know, what's the best way to do things, and he'd already been here for I think two years before. before well, he would have been working at Tiger he while was you were training t- there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So he was the head of strength conditioning when I was when I was there. So yeah, like I said, I credit him to a lot of the things that have kind of come through there. Because after about three to four years of training on and off, coming over six months at a time and things like that. Um, he was the one that put me forward for the for the sponsorship for the fight team, and um, George and George and that all agreed that it was a good fit because, well, at the time they fucking threw me in for being a punching bag for like Mark Hunt and yep. Khalil Roundtree and all that stuff. But it's what I wanted, you know what I mean? It was um, it was awesome. So like those boys that were you know played a really really iconic role in making my Phuket life kind of kickstart. 
Yeah, and just, just for context for the audience, uh, he's talking about Andrew Wood, Woody, which is uh, one of the, I think, the head strength and conditioning coach over at Bangtao Muay Thai and MMA. Um, also strength and conditioning coach for guys such as, uh, Volk- he's working with Volkanovski. Uh, he was on Ultimate Fighter. He's the strength SNC coach for uh, Rafael Faziv and many other big name fighters. And also you referred to George Hickman uh, from the Hickman Brothers, who is uh, the head MMA coach over at Bangtao. Muay Thai and MMA, just in case people hear these, these yeah, words. Yeah. Who the hell are those guys? So they're, you know, like Phuket old heads. Yep. Um, so that, that advice you're getting from Woody, you're kind of going back and forth between construction. What was kind of the game plan or the roadmap to make a permanent move here? Was it purely on the sponsorship fighter so that, you know, you're not paying for the training, you're able to kind of uh, at, at least live here where you're not burning your own savings? Yeah, well, there's like... There's a misconception about being a sponsored fighter where everyone thinks it's the, the be-all and end-all of, um, you know, your your combat, uh, you know, career and things like that. It's Tiger was fantastic to me because I was kind of like in like a limbo situation. I wasn't on like a, you know, they took part of my contract or anything like that, which I was really grateful for because I was there to be a body to help all these big guys that no one else could help with sparring, you know, like, like they had Mark Hunt, the Tougher Brothers, Bam Bam Tuivasa, um, you know, like Khalil Roundtree and all that, they were all there at the time. So, um, but yeah, so a lot of people with the sponsorship idea think that, you know, it's the greatest thing in the world, but you become not property because that's, you know, it's a bad term to say, but you have to, you know, you have to be there all day, every day. You have to make sure that you're doing extras. Otherwise, you know, that opportunity can be taken from you. It's a job. But being w- without being too pessimistic on, pessimistic on it, I mean, these big name fighters, they're coming in. They got to train because, I mean, they're getting paid the big bucks at that event. Yes, exactly. Do you kind of become a, I don't want to like position it this way. Do you become like a tool of Tiger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like not of Tiger, of any gym in right. particular. But, and uh, you get told that, you know what I mean? Like, well, I was told that by Woody and, and George and that because they're like, hey man, like we could really use some help with these guys, you know, like because they all have their own crew and stuff like that, but they're just like having, you know, fresher faces and different, you know, you know different angles and different type of fighters and things like that. And I was fucking grateful for that opportunity, you know, because I'm mixing it with the best and it's only making me better. But, um, yeah, like I said, people get caught up. They're like, oh, because now that I, you know, own a gym and I'm a head coach of a gym, I get people every day. Oh, I want to be sponsored. I want to be sponsored. I'm like, well, guys, you don't understand, like, what it actually means to be sponsored, you know, like, Part of your fight purse goes to goes to the gym instead of paying for paying for your training. You know, like if you need if the gym needs something to be done, you, you know we need you to help in that situation. You have a certain criteria of training you have to adhere to. Like it is good, and some people make it, but a lot of people will struggle when when they actually understand what the full concept could, of the sponsorship is. I think is. on that topic, um, it could be interesting to, to jump into, and we'll clip this later for anyone that wants to see. We have a clips channel. Let's just jump right into it, like the from the business side, the, not the exact numbers, but at least the structure of the sponsored fighter. What percentage is going to the gym? What's going in your pocket? Realistically, in the first year, where are you fighting and what are you actually making? What does it cost to survive here? Like, What's, what what are those bare numbers like on a, a very like budgetary estimation level? So if anyone's listening, they can be like, okay, I have a clear idea. Like this would be the conversation probably Woody gave you. Yeah, so depending on the, you know, like the logistics of things and what you're getting from the actual gym, like, because uh, we have accommodation available, we have management, we have all that type of thing. So there's like different tiers, obviously, that go through the, through the situation, like, if you're purely there just for training and you have your own accommodation and you have all that other stuff sorted, you could be like looking at 20% of your fight purse every time you fight. And if you're not in a, in a sanctioned organization already and you're fighting at like Bangla and things like that, you're only making 6,000 baht, 5,000 baht. So and you, then the rest goes to the gym or that. No, that, no. So of that 5,000 baht, the gym will take 20%, whatever what I mean. it is, 30%. And th- that varies from gym to gym, you know. I've heard of a lot of gyms taking 70% of the purse and leaving the people with 30%. So, like, there is no set number. There's, you know, there's no, there's no like, blueprint on how it's supposed to be done. It's kind of whatever the agreement is with you and that person at the time. But, like, the structure will usually implement, like, every, every uh, asset you take from the gym is probably, like, another 10%. So if you want to stay at the gym, accommodation-wise, it's another 10% of your purse. If you want to use like you know facilities or 
you know, food or th- something like that's another 10%. So people can be like, oh, this is great. You know, I'm only losing 50% of my purse, but if you're only making 10,000 baht, you know, you've got 5,000 baht after being in a war for three rounds or something like that. And then they start, you know, that's when everything starts adding up. Because then if you get injured, you're out for another couple of weeks, you can't fight again, you're, you know, your residual income's not coming in as, as quick as you thought. How, how do the gyms look at the sponsored fighters? Are they an, a customer or an investment? Um, it's a, probably a 50-50. Obviously, an investment in the, in the stage where we want to get the fighter to a, a high-level promotion. A high-level, exactly right, to you know, gain promotion for themselves and for the gym. Um, my goal when I look at sponsoring someone is, like, I've never sponsored someone straight off the bat. We're only a, a new gym, but I always make them fight first. So I'm like, you pay for your training, you fight first, and then I can decide. Because I feel like I'm pretty good to judge a character on a fighter. Um, you know, like how they represent themselves in, in the ring, what happens if they get into a situation where they're, you know, they're being hurt or being cut, whether they give up, are they strong enough to continue? Uh, and a big thing that I look at, which I probably, you know, like can get out there now is the way they handle the celebration if they win or lose. So Muay Thai is very, very different in the aspect of wins and losses don't mean a whole lot. Obviously winning is the paramount you know, thing that you're losing, uh, looking for, but if... If you handle a loss better than you handle a win, I, w- I would like to take that person on better than if I see someone who's knocked somebody out and they're running around the ring like a fucking headless chalk, jumping on the on the jumping on the ropes and carrying on like a dickhead. I'm like, well, you know, what I mean? you, you don't really have that humbleness about you because like the culture of Muay Thai and things like that, they don't really you know, doesn't really have that cockiness and arrogance about it. And then you could, if that guy gets to a high level, he's going to be a nightmare to negotiate with later. Exactly right. Exactly right. So that's what I mean. Like it's an investment in the future when you see something like that, because it's, it's all well and good to celebrate. And, you know, if you've put in hard yards and done the win, but like you see some of these people, man, at Bangla stadium, you know, they're fighting 85 year old dudes who were probably you know, out the front cutting mangoes before they got in there. And these guys are running around, jumping on the fucking ring, like doing backflips and shit. And you're just like, what the fuck's going on here, you know? like, Yeah, it's like, well, I'm a, I'm a hockey player, so I guess I would compare it to, let's say, uh, I played a, a little higher level hockey as a kid, but then eventually we end up in men's league. It'd be like scoring a goal in men's league and skating around cheering. Like, yeah, yeah, Who exactly. gives a shit? That's what I mean. Like, <laughs> like I said, there's, uh, there's a time and a place for, you know, congratulating yourself, but, like, it's, um, yeah, it's very few and far between, like, when you get the right people. So sponsorships are... Uh, can be a great thing and they can also be a pain in the ass. Yeah, so people should be aware. At least they understand the structure and you're not just coming over here and kind of freeloading off them as well. Yeah, exactly right. And what are, what are gym owners' thoughts on gym hoppers? Um, I'm a bit different in that aspect because I'd rather the person leave if they, f- if they have some sort of negative connotation because what happens is they'll end up sitting around the gym moping around or, you know, like getting in someone else's ear and then creating more of a virus than anything. So like I, I can, I understand people getting upset for it because it can be annoying when you invest a lot of time into someone and then, you know what I mean? Like they lose a fight or they lose two fights in a row. So they're like, Oh fuck this. It must be the gym. You know? So then they move on to somewhere else. Mm. But in the grand scheme of things, like they're not the person you really want in your gym. So it's probably better off to just, you know, cut the head off the snake and fucking let it go. Yeah. It's a good like filtering processes as well. Yeah, exactly. Right. But it's just, it can be difficult when you're invested in that person and then they just think, oh, well, I lost because of the gym or not. Be, you know. But like I said, again, that speaks about the character of the person that you're you're working with. So if they don't have the faith in it, you might as well fuck them off. Mm. Now that, that connection, you've come over to Thailand. Woody's kind of give you a little bit of a roadmap. Um, what was your kind of career plan there? Was it just to... Not to say that to be the punching bag, or like, what did you see after that? Like, what was coming? Well, so my theory was, if I'm working with these guys, then I'm going to get better. So, like, my problem with my fight career was my ambition always exceeded my ability, and I used to lie about my my fights a lot so I could get better fights. I'm like, there's not many people in the world that do that, you know what I mean? People are always saying they had less fights or they're trying to get an easier fight, and like. Like, I had a situation where people were like, oh, the world champion from 2015 needs a, needs a fight. I'm like, yeah, sweet, bro. I'll, you know, I'll jump in there. I'll have a go at it. And they're like, how many fights you had? I'm like, how many fights do I need? Like, you know, they'll be saying, oh, 15. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly how many fights I've had. <laughs> and I'd really only had four or five. Mm. But I'd, um, 
I never put myself in a situation where I didn't think I was going to win, which is like the, the biggest thing, you know. Like I had offers to fight some people, and I was like, no, nah, bro, I'm not fucking doing that. Like, but um, in in that in that time that time period, it was more. I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to make a career out of this. I'd only had probably five fights, and I think it's five and zero. So I was like mixing up with these really high level dudes and understanding I'm nowhere near as good as I thought I was for one. And uh, just now, now, is this pure Muay Thai or, or MMA? Just Muay Thai. Okay. Um, but I was sparring with these dudes as like you know, this one of their stand up partners. And um, yeah, I, it was a good. It was just a realization for me, like and seeing like these are like especially the Polynesian and the Pacific Island guys. Like we're always having fun, but I never really realized the amount of work that these guys do put in because we'll be out there laughing, listening to, you know, like fucking Olivia Newton-John while we're sparring and things like that. And people walk up like, what the fuck is going on here? These giants are punching the shit out of each other laughing. And so like, you know, that aspect was really, really cool to understand that they're still the same type of people. But then when I saw the amount of work that they actually do, I was like, fuck, I'm so far behind the eight ball here. So it was, it was really good. It was invigorating. It like, you know, lit a fire in me. And then I just, yeah, kind of progressed from there. Now, wh- where did that lead to and to the point where it took you right up to Southside? And I guess we can we can touch upon, like, when we were first introduced at Muay Thai and Mushrooms and you were working at Powerhouse yeah. and kind of connect that story along the road. So so through Tiger, I was there all the way up until the pandemic. Um, so during that time, there was not many of us left at the gym. I'd say maybe 20 people in total. Um Trying to remember, uh, I think it was Khalil was still there. Sorry, so Khalil was like the main, the main uh, person there that everyone was helping out at the time. Like Woody was doing his S and C, and we were still training. And he was he had a fight coming up. I can't remember what it was. Um, so I can't remember when that was. Two thousand and twenty. Yeah, two thousand twenty. So I was working at Powerhouse and sponsored by Tiger at the same time. Like again, I was very very. Very, very lucky with that because I was I was like one of the only people that was, was able to do something like that because a lot of the other gyms have their very strict, you know, like you're with one gym and that's it. But they were they were cool to me because I was making, you know, it was the only way I could make, and make a living. Um, and, yeah, so eventually through all that, obviously the pandemic and all that type of shit was happening and that's when I kind of transitioned to powerhouse full-time. Uh, I was training under Eddie and Brooke initially and Jack and James Healan that was there at the time. Um, I was there strictly just training because I was still actively fighting and like you know, was, that's when I started with the full metal dojo fights. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so must have been yeah, the end of 2019 before the pandemic started is when all that cyber stuff was happening. And yeah, so then I was with Powerhouse for two years. Uh, I went back home during COVID for a little bit just because it was just, it was like one of those unfortunate things, you know, it was like there was army on the streets and things like that. You couldn't, while it was awesome and, you know, like it was really nice to be in a secluded beach and doing whatever you wanted to do. Like I used to tell people it was really strange if you didn't know the person that was walking down the beach during COVID. Like, Where's this new person came from? Mm-hmm. But um, yes, yeah, so I went home to, for that. And then, yeah, t- uh, end of 2021, I came back to Thailand and that's when I was like full time. I'm, I can never live in Australia again. And yeah, moved up, packed up, moved to Phuket full time. And then that's when I was full time, uh, one of the head trainers at Powerhouse. Yeah, I so saw you went home a bit, uh, kind of to connect back with your family. I, I saw some, I was kind of following you on, on Instagram from there. Well, what is it for most people living here? That's one of the questions I think people get asked frequently, like that you disconnect from the family and time just flies by here. Um, in 2020, the doctor said to her, she got, no, sorry, 2021, like the doctor said this in, she had like lymphatic, uh, lymph node cancer, breast cancer. She had like four different types of cancer. And the doctor's like, listen, your mum's got about six months left to live. I was over here. I couldn't get back to Australia as well, which was the most frustrating thing. They wouldn't let me come back. Um, they were like, oh, other people need to get back before you and all this shit. And um, like the whole COVID thing was just fucking busting my balls anyway. And... I think nine months into like my attempts at getting back, I finally got to go home on a repatriation flight, which was like just another bullshit thing. There was like, 30 people on the whole plane because they were scared that COVID could spread throughout the plane. And I was just like, 
We're all fucking sitting in this one big thing. Like if one person gets it, we're all getting it. You know, what's the difference? Um, so yeah, I went back home to spend time with my mum and just, you know, like do whatever I had to do in that aspect. And that was really shit because when I was, so we had to quarantine in a hotel and um, like police in Victoria fucking just, Victoria is like one of the most overgoverned states in the whole of Australia. Like it's just crazy, mate. They call it Little China sometimes because of the, the impact that the, yeah. But I got um, an official letter from Victoria Police saying that everyone got, everyone got the same letter that you're not allowed to leave your place of residence or five kilometres out of there. But then I also got a letter saying, hey, we know your mum's sick, but you're not allowed to go visit her. So I was just like, yeah, man, fucking stick that up your ass. Like, that's the only reason I've come back to Australia, you know? Mm. So... I left the hotel quarantine and went straight over with like 45 minutes away to to my sister's house and like, God bless my family. They didn't give a fuck. Like, hey, if the police come here to say, like, what are you doing visiting your chronically mom? Like, you know, mm. it is what it is. But um, yeah, that was like a kind of weird thing because we were over here sitting on the fucking beach having a great time. Like, obviously it was very, you know, underpopulated and a lot of businesses were going down, but we're all out just doing normal things, hitting pads on the beach, having a great time. Then I got back into Australia and they're like, yeah, mate, leave your house, see what happens. Like, you'll be arrested. And I was like, what the fuck's going on here? So, yeah, went back, spent time with mum and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, like they gave everyone the letters at the hotel about the, you will be arrested. It just said like, you will be arrested if you leave your house and all this stuff. And like, so I was just like, fuck this. Like, I don't want to live in this kind of tyranny. And so um, I made my peace, me and my mum talked. My mum's like, I don't, not, I don't want you here, but she's like, I, I want you to be out doing what you're supposed to be doing in the world, you know? And like, I was making really good waves at the time coaching. So, you know, I spent like nine months nearly with her, just flat out. And she's like, all right, enough's enough. I need you to leave. I don't want you just sitting here watching me die. So then got to the stage where I rang um, Jack Lowe. I said, listen, man, like uh, I've made the decision. My, me and my mama spoke, you know, like it's time for me to kind of get back on the track. So, yeah, jumped on the phone, Jack. Jack's like, mate, you know, I've been waiting for you to come out. So whenever you're ready, do that. And then, yeah, so the end of 2021, September, came back out. Um, we had a fucking great time, man, Jack and I, you know. like This is Jack from Powerhouse? Yeah, Jack from Powerhouse. Um, and then, yeah, so we just kept going through from there. Obviously, the world started turning normal again. You know, there was a tourist coming through through the, through the scheme at the time, the SHA Plus one. And, um, yeah, Powerhouse was pumping through. We were doing really, really well. Um, and then December last year, there were, there's like a whole situation which I, I'm not really sure it's my place to speak about. So I just that's talk about... I, that's fine. And we're not live, so we can cut anything if you're like, oh, fuck, I didn't say that. Yeah, I'll just speak about my yeah. experience. Yeah, so like, there was um There was a time where Powerhouse was, gonna, was looking at moving to a different different location um and then that just kind of didn't work out um but in that location was an opportunity and then the opportunity got presented to me um you know like privately hey man like uh i'm still going to open this space where i really need like a head striking coach um and i was like no no no, i'm stuck at powerhouse you know not stuck at st i'm sticking with powerhouse and then um i just spoke to i spoke to my mom again <laughs> And my mum's like, listen, what you're doing is great. Like, you know, you just got to do whatever feels right. And then I spoke to a few other friends, like, you know, Woody and stuff included, and then just random people. And they're like, it got to a stage where people were just saying, listen, man, you're doing really, really well for yourself. Like, you're doing good. Like, at that time, I had, like, Mark Hunt. Uh, Mark Hunt was training under me at Powerhouse. Um, Junior Tough was training under me at Powerhouse. And I just got to a stage where people were like, I think you need to – realize that you've got your own you know way of your own brand and um like i spoke with jack in depth for like a month before i made the decision and you know it got to a stage where i had to take a couple of days off because i was i didn't want to hurt anybody like you know what i mean i was like i felt like i was trying to please everyone without actually caring about myself so then i um i spoke to one <laughs> this is a really random dude who was just like listen brother this is the straight out truth and here's a bit of a like straight down he goes, what you're doing with Powerhouse is fantastic, but you're doing that with Powerhouse. So it's always going to be under that banner. 
because you've got an opportunity now to go and do your own thing and have your own setup and your own gym and stuff like that. So that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, you know, for lack of a better term. And um, credit to Jack again, man. He supported me the whole way. He understood too. He's like, he's like, listen, man, the reason I'm fighting for you so hard is because I know how good you are, you know, which was which is really cool. And, I, like, I respect him so much for that. But he also said the same thing. He goes, man, like, you're on your own journey. So, like, I completely understand that you go and do your own thing. And then that's how I ended up with Southside. Now, when you joined Southside, you're you're the, the head striking coach, are, but you're also uh, you have you have shares in that. You have a, you're, you have a piece. Yeah, of the yeah, pie? I've got a percentage of it. Okay, I wasn't so. sure if you're able to, to share. Yeah, that yeah. Well. So that that was also like a, a definitive factor at the time. You know what I mean? And then there was like um, just different things that kind of you know like I weighed up over time, and I was really lucky. I had a really good friendship group, man, and they were all kind of like, listen, you know, like. Don't worry about trying to please everybody else. Just kind of look after yourself. And I've always been like that, you know, like I feel like I'm, I don't want to hurt people or let other people down and all that type people of shit. People pleaser. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's why I find hard to say no to people. And like after a while of hearing the same thing repetitively, I'm like, fucking hell. Like, that's why I've always had that kind of issue my whole life. Like even with friends and stuff like that, you know, like friends that I know are no good, but I'm like, fucking hell, I'm going to help them out and make sure that everything's, that I've done everything I can to then you know, move on from that situation. Now you've kind of taken that leap and you've, uh, the word definitely not selfishly, like you've done something for yourself, but you still, that part of your culture, that's still true to you. You're not, you're not losing the piece of that all of a sudden I've given up, I'm not helping. No, you. well, that's a thing, man. Like I left amicably, like I couldn't have been any more transparent through the situation. I was, you know what I mean? I was very vocal and I was always talking with Jack and I was talking with people from Southside and I was like, listen, this is where I'm at, you know what I mean? And I was lucky that no one tried to push me one way or another as well. I was just kind of getting to do my, you know, process it as I wanted to. So it was perfect. And then like, I still speak to Jack to this day, you know what I mean? I still see them for dinner and I still, still support the powerhouse fighters and make sure that, you know, I shoot them a message when they have big fights going on. And everything's good, man, you know? And it's just trying, we're at the stage now where it's more of a community-based thing down in Hawaii and like, you know, that part of Phuket. What percentage actually go on to reach the, let's say, a top five in the UFC? It's a very, probably the le less than 1%. Exactly. So when now you, you've kind of changed your perspective from just being the striking coach, you're also a business owner, but, you know, deep rooted in your culture, you want to help everyone. You're seeing a lot of people come into the gym and you, is, is it, do you struggle at times where you have to say no to certain people, even though they feel they might have that opportunity, but from the business mindset and going against your own, maybe, you know, values you have to make those decisions that's that's my biggest problem like i said like i'll be trying to help everyone like you know oh yeah this guy can train for free for this week he doesn't really have that much cash on him but then it gets to a point where you're like these there's people out there man that are deliberately trying to expose nice people you know like we all everyone in the world understands it but i've got a good like little ruthless crew of people in the gym as well i'm like oh you it's kind of shit on my behalf, but I'm just not that type of person, you know what I mean? But I'll just, like, handball it off. I'm like, oh, you got to go speak to old mate. They'll, you know, like, they have the final say. When pa pass the buck so you don't, you're not the one saying no. <laughs> yeah, but like, I don't make I'm those slowly, decisions. slowly starting to, like, you know, in a polite way say to people, sorry, man, I can't, you know, I can't accommodate you for that. So, but um, I'm learning as well, you know? Is this a pivotal moment kind of in yourself also as a person? Because you're going to change completely now as a business owner. Coming from that perspective of, I, I'm kind of the same, you want to help everyone, but what you start to realize is the people asking for help don't have your inten best intentions either. Yeah, exactly right. That's They're the always thing. looking for handouts, and you need to figure out who those people are and who they aren't. Like I said, I'll make people pay for their first month of training, then i make them fight, and then, you know, then I might have a conversation with them about that after that. I mean, we've only got three sponsored athletes at the gym. Like I was, we're talking like I've got 100, but probably have a hundred people applying for it or asking for it. So it's just, yeah, I'm still going to be the same person I've always been. You know what I mean? Like maybe I'll be a bit more business orientated with my decisions, but it's not going to change me as in the fact of like, oh no, you know, fuck this guy. I'm not going to even bother. I'll still have a conversation with the dude about this. And sorry, man, I just can't facilitate what you're looking for. Yeah. It's, you know, it's tough love sometimes. And yeah, exactly. Now, did you ever have that, like, I, I kind of, I didn't connect that part of the story where you, you got the opportunity with Southside not only to be the head striking coach, but now be a part of the ownership. Was that idea, you know, was that plan ever on the roadmap to, I want to actually be part of a gym or did that kind of just, you know, spontaneously come to, come to fruition? No, so at the end of, when I first was coming back uh, in 2021, 
I like made my first ever affirmation. You know what I mean? I was like, I wanted, I had a two or three year goal that I wanted to achieve, and I achieved that in like eighteen months, where I wanted to kind of have my own thing. And then like the next thing on my list is be able to be one of those people that can kind of travel to anywhere in the world and be like, oh, that's the guy from that gym, you know, or like that's coach, blah 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 blah. And like with the you know incredible talent that I've been lucky to work with over the last six months and a year. I'm slowly starting to get to that stage as well. Like, I'm very, very young in my coaching career, as some would say. But, like, you know what I mean? I've, I've worked with some of the biggest names that are out there. Been to the UFC. Like, I fly out to the UFC again on Sunday. So, like, I'm progressing in leaps and bounds, but I just got to make sure that I keep my head screwed on. And But, yeah, the, the goal was to always have something to call my own and, like, I achieve that in a lot quicker time than I want to. As, while it's still part of the actual brand, that whole striking like department of of the gym is mine um for me personally like i'm not going anywhere this is it this is home i got the mushroom brand i have a vision of what i'm doing with it there is no 20-year plan i'm just gonna ride this out until i i don't want to anymore yeah for yourself like that's it south side's home this is my baby let's just roll with it there's no there's no way out at this point this is what you want to do yeah well mine more so is that i just don't want to go back to australia i just like I know this kind of sounds stupid, but like something like where I get to make my own decision. If I want to get on my scooter and not wear a helmet and risk my own safety, that's my choice. You know what I mean? And like, if I get caught, so here you go. Sorry, mate. There's 500 baht. Like, I, you know, and off I go. But like in Australia, which is sweet, it's safety in the end of the day. But like, if you're doing something like that in Australia, man, you're like, you're getting like probably $3,000 worth of fines. They'll take your fucking bike, they'll take everything. And I'm just like, those things like that are what kind of, you know, contribute to the fact that I want to be able to do what I want to do in my life. And I feel like Thailand's a place where, you know, like, obviously it's not the best example to use, but I just feel like this is the best place for me to be at this current time as well. Oh, it's actually the land of the free here, no matter. Yeah, like, exactly. Back home is, like, Canada's the same thing. It's yeah. not the land of the free there. That's what I mean. And then everyone's like, oh, you know, what about this corruption and bullshit? I'm like, bro, the corruption's in your face here. You're just like, sweet here, brother, sorry. You know, and then I'm like, you guys live in a corrupt state. You just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, go <laughs> go look at the highways or what any bridge being developed there. You think someone's not getting paid under the table? Yeah, exactly. Man. That's what I was just like. I mean, go watch an episode of The Sopranos. What do you think all this public <laughs> money goes to? Exactly. Like, so a lot of the guys I go to dinner with, that's why they're here. Yeah. They're like, I can go. I'm not going to go blackout drunk and drive around, but I can have three or four and not a worry in the world. And if something happens, here's 5,000 baht. Here's 10,000 baht. I'm going to bed. Yeah. Back home, it's like your life is finished. Bro, you can't make it to work. You can't do anything. Your license gets taken off you. Your car. I'm gets not taken endorsing you. drinking, yeah, driving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's but, just but get I'm that just, thing. But like, you can have two, three. You know. And, and well, I just think that's part of like you know what I mean. Like, your life's not meant to be controlled by other people as well. You should be the one controlling your life. If you want to make that decision, you know what I mean. Like, if you want to make that decision to have those beers and drive the car, that's on you. If you fucking kill someone, like, yeah, you should go to jail, hundred percent. Yeah. But like, that's your decision to make. You know what I mean. It's probably still like people are going to be upset about it. It's definitely that, a fine line there. Yeah, exactly. I, I've had now, this discussion. Like, like, I think we are about to turn into Bali. Yeah. Meaning, like, if I call you up in two years and say, hey, you want to come on the podcast? You'll be like, yeah, but I might come and need to stay the night. Yeah. I have a feeling we're about to hit the. Because you know how it is in Bali, like Changu to Kuda. Yeah. Bumper to bumper motorbike. Yeah, like I think that's what this island could turn into. Well, but at least we have the infrastructure. The roads are okay. That's a difficult one because everyone wants more people here. You know what I mean? But it's the quality of people that we're getting at the moment that's really shit. Yeah. Um, you know, like certain you know, groups of you know, minorities and ethnics and all this type of shit and whatever <laughs> it may be. But Russians. the... Um, <laughs> is, that the word, is that the word you're looking for? Anyways, we I love, say, we love I you, I say I did. Um, I'll take the... You guys can... Uh, no, it's okay. But... um. Yeah, and then, like, with the growth as well of, like, martial arts in general, obviously, like, you know, the UFC does a great job marketing and things like that, like, and we're getting so many people coming to the gyms that, you know, like, they don't have a clue, but, fuck, you know, five years ago, no one else had a clue how to do anything. So, like, it's just, yeah, with the world the way it is and, like, you know, the power of social media and all this shit, people see these gyms and they're like, fuck, man, I'm going there. But, like, it's getting polluted at the moment, you know? Like, I avoid Chalong like the fucking plague, man. Like, I... I don't say I hate Chalong, but I just like, ugh. Every time I even have to go near the soy, I'm like, like, it's great for a party. It was good for Songkran, but I'm like driving down there the other day, like, because I have to go to Tiger once a week for like when I watch my 
because they're really good. Joseph Henley, the head of MMA, is really, really like I've known him for a long time, and he lets me come and watch my boys who are sparring there that I'm coaching. So like I'll go to Tiger and watch a sparring, but then I'm like driving there. I'm like, this is fucked. Take me like forty five minutes to get from one end of the soy to the other because I'm in a car. Yeah, and I'm just like, bro, this is chaos, you know. You don't know how to walk properly on the road. Like they walk <laughs> side by side. side. Yeah, I'm like yeah. boys, you're gonna get smoked by a fucking drunk Thai guy that just drank a whole <laughs> bottle of whatever yeah. the Hong Tom or whatever. <laughs> and I I think there there's a bit of a learning curve there, and you can see them. It's it's getting it's getting flooded with too much green. Yeah, and are you starting to see people stay longer now? Like. Maybe the years you're in Chaolong, people come for a month or two months. I feel like a lot of people, they're coming and not leaving. Yeah, 100%. And, like, because I live in Rawai, and it's kind of like you, like, it's like a hierarchy. You know what I mean? A hierarchy of long stay. So once you do your, your little time in Chaolong and you have a great time and you get over it because you're like, fuck, I've been here for two months. This place is chaos now. Everyone just kind of shimmies down to Rawai. And then in Rawai, I've got all these people that are like six months to a year stayers, you know what I mean? And then I feel from there, everyone comes over to this side of town. And then, then you know, like people that have been through that kind of hierarchy end up being in like Serene, Bangtao, things like that. And that's when they've become you know, like long-term citizens. But Rawai, I find I have like a lot of people that are there between three to 12 months. I've been here seven years and you start to turn into like a crusty, angry old, not, I, not, it's different. It's no, I, I definitely, I'm always in a, in a, in a good mood in that sense, but it's, you can walk out your door and I, you can pretty much tell, I can, you can eye how long people have been there just yeah, by mannerisms. Yeah, exactly right. Like that guy's brand new. I had one in the car the other day. I was driving like, uh, through Nihon beach. I'm like, these fucking tourists, man, they're pissing me off. And I was like, wait, hold on a second. Like I'm still, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was like trying to just get through, like navigating through the beach. And then my mate's like, bro, you're a fucking tourist too. I was like, no, I've been here long enough to not be a tourist now, you know? Yeah, at least th there's that certain point where you, if you can throw it in a little bit of tie, your tie is... Yeah, okay. Yeah, numbers, food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough that if you're getting gas from a bottle guy, he, he realizes you're not a tourist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, my heritage is Maldi and, and Thai is very, very similar. They believe in the same kind of gods and things like that as well. Like, um, So it was like... Something that really spoke to me more on a, like a cultural and spiritual level is when I was living here. Or like why, part of the reason why I'm living here. Like my partner, she'll like take me to the temple and I kind of understand things like the way that they do things very similar to the way we do things. How, could you give an example? Just like uh, like the the way they look at life is very similar. Um, like like I said, their gods are very, very similar. Like they have like a water god and a, and a land god and things like that. Like the plopper jet and... Um, like the tattoos as well, you know, like I've got my whole one half of my body in Sakya and another half in Maori tattoos and they're, they're all very, very similar in representation of like what their certain things mean. So I like found a really kind of, you know, like homage to New Zealand in, in that inside of Thailand's culture. Yeah, here, I mean, they're just more connected to the present, I find. Yeah. That's why they, people always, I mean, I'm doing on the business side and they go slow and it's like, well, they're kind of just focused on today. Yeah, they're yeah, not yeah. really worried. That's why when people, when you promise things in the future to tie people and from the business side that can be used as a strategy, yeah. like the carrot and the stick, it doesn't work here. No. They're like, well, what are you going to give me today? Like, I'm only alive today. That's what I say to people too. Like my number one thing when the boys, come, like my friends come over, I'm like, bro, understand that going to 7-Eleven might take you 10 minutes. And they're like, what the fuck do you mean? I'm like, trust me. Like, you might go in for a bottle of water, but it might take you 10 minutes. And then they come out, they're like, fuck, man, this chick didn't even really give a fuck. I was standing there. I was like, what did I tell you, bro? Like, you know what I mean? You're on their time when it seems suitable, like whatever the situation is that it's in front of them. They don't panic. They're just like, sweet. Oh, yeah, now we'll serve you. Like, you know, you well, can I, and when it's this weather, just I like to go into 7 Eleven if I'm going for a water and walk. Just I like walking around these things, no, just enjoying something about. Um, the air con in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so fresh. It's like you go in there and you're like, holy shit, this place is, it's heaven. Um, let's jump, uh, before we wrap this podcast up, what are we, about an hour? An hour? Okay, that's good. We got about like max 20 minutes. I want to just jump into everything about Southside. Let's talk about Southside, the branding, the image. What is the vision? What does it represent, the culture? Um, just let us know. Let when us know. People come when to Southside, people come what to Southside, what can they expect? So, like our you know, point of difference to everything is we're like a full one-stop shop. We may not be the biggest in stature of the actual place, but like we have fantastic wrestling coach, uh, Joshy. He's a D1 wrestler. 
we've got three of the best jiu-jitsu coaches on the island, like Campbell Sims, uh, DJ Jackson and Denny. Like, you know, DJ's eight-time world champion. Campbell's a world record holder and things. It's our, like, our coaches are the, the best of the best. Like, obviously, myself included and Will with uh, Strength and Conditioning. And we've got James Powell, our boxing coach. So, like, we really invested more so in our coaching than than anything else. But, like, we have everything at the one place. You know, we have a physio in the front door, physio fit, who's, like, another, they have another branch in Chelong as well. So we have physio fit. We have pure prep on premises, which is a, a food prep company that you can get your protein shakes, all that type of stuff, and your food ordered to that place. Then we have like our you know massive wrestling and jujitsu area. Then we've got my area of the striking. We've got a seven meter uh, full cage. Um, there's a pool on site. There's ice baths. There's saunas. There's everything that's all anything that you need from from your holiday for whether it's a training holiday or your fight camp. It's all there. We have accommodation. We've got villas at the back of the place, all inclusive into the area. Mm. But our our main thing is our like cohesion as a team. You know, like DJ and I work very very closely with all the MMA fighters. Um, I work very very closely with my Thai trainers with the, the things like we're small. Like I said, small in stature, but like we exceed everybody else when it comes to an actual team environment. And there's no real individuals in our stuff, and that's what's kind of been. Like, what's starting to speak volumes, you know? Why are we getting all these big, big names? They've decided to jump ship from other from other gyms. But, like, we accommodate for everyone, man. We have people there that are just going going about their day, having a having a laugh, trying Muay Thai, all the way up to, you know, like, top 10 UFC fighters. Who, who are you guys catering to? So, for example, we have Revolution over here. Yeah. That's just pure, that's, M, that's Muay Thai. Right? Yeah. They're, and they're catering to the Muay Thai fighter that wants to go to Lumpany and get a big fight. Who are you guys catering to? Is it more about the MMA and that that kind of full spectrum? So as a whole, the gym is definitely catering more towards MMA. Like, like I said, we got like DJ, who's you know one of the world's most renowned black belt jiu-jitsu artists, and Campbell, who's like just you know another great person like that. But I'm either or, you know what I mean? Like I have a good little stable of Muay Thai fighters at the moment, a couple of really good Aussie fighters that are you know we're we have visions for them to at least make it to one Lumpini by the end of the year. So we kind of cater to any any sort of martial arts that has, you know, it under the MMA bracket. Yeah, and, and your, thai, your Muay Thai trainers, they're Thai. They're from Thailand. Yeah, they're yeah, from yeah. Here. So one of our Thai trainers, the head Thai trainer, he used to be the head Thai trainer at AKA. So he's been in the game for a long, long time, like very, very well-known trainer. Um, another one of my boys, he's uh, currently still fighting at, at Channel 7 and... He's, you know, still very, very active in that, but a great trainer as well. Uh, another one of the boys to still, I think up until 2020 was a Omnoy champion. So I've got really good ties, which can, a lot of people lose the, they lose the vision when they see MMA. They're like, oh, you know, the Muay Thai is not going to be that great. But our Muay Thai program is fucking really, really good. Are you guys looking to get like a, of a full potential, or maybe you already have one, a uh, UFC fighter, or I maybe you, sorry, maybe you already have one that's like, I'm representing Southside, I'm at a Southside, it's going to say that on Sure Dog, and they're, or is it still, you're so young that it's growing, it's by the, getting to that. By the end of the year, I hope to secure some of the boys that I've been working with, you know, like, like, um, I did my whole, uh, Darren Till was a yep. guy that I taught for a long time. And you're, you're at his fight, weren't you? Yeah, 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 so I went to Vegas with him, but, um, at the moment, I've been really working closely with Phil Hawes. Oh, yeah. Who's a f really fantastic dude. So he's the one I'm leaving on the weekend to go corner him in uh, UFC 288. So he fights in, I think he fights in two weeks' time. But um, as far as, like, you know, getting them to fight directly under the banner, like, the gym's five months old, you know, and, like, a lot of people already are like, fuck, man, you guys are making some waves for a gym that's five months old. And I truly think we started off better than nearly every other gym, probably besides Bung Tao, you know, like, but we have a lot of big names coming through every day. Like by the end of the year, I'm hoping to have at least, you know, like two fighters from each organization that I count as like the higher echelon, you know, UFC, uh, Bellator, PFL and one. So I just, yeah, we're hoping to have a really nice stable by the end of the year. So we've got a really big team goal by, by the, our 12 month anniversary, which is in December. So we'll just see how that kind of pans out. Is it hard to get these American fighters like well, I, I've been following Khalil for a long time and he kind of left Thailand and now he's, he's you know, he's found his base in US. But yeah. then a guy like uh, Phil Hawes, 
like where where is his home gym if he's not here? Like these guys, are they still finding their own home gyms? Yeah, exactly. So that someone like Phil is is a great example. Like he's been a part of his gym back home for a long, long time. Um, but he's a kind of a guy that's gotten away not gotten away, sorry, has gotten to where he is based purely off his athletic freakism. You know what I mean? Like the man is an absolute yep. like athletic icon I saw, you know, and you never really see anything like it. His explosiveness and the you know, it's incredible. But he's um hasn't really ever been nurtured or like, you know, kind of shown specific things or anything like that. He's kind of just fallen in line. So I think, you know, between myself and like obviously he works very, very closely with Joseph Henley and Tiger and stuff like that. So he's someone that I just say to him, bro, do whatever feels right for you, you know, whatever you feel like is the the right place to be or the right situation, that's all that matters. But I feel like off the back of this performance, what he's about to put out next week, which I really think is going to be like a dominant performance against, he's fighting a guy whose only loss is Hamza Chamayev. Who's he fighting? Uh, his name's Ikram Azkarov, I think his last name is. Okay. So the guy's only loss is to Hamza. Mm. So that's what everyone says, but I like... I see this like vision and you know my affirmation and all that type of stuff. I feel going to blow this dude out of the water, and um, I just yeah, like I said, we have this little goal. Um, someone like Phil would be fucking fantastic if we could you know, have them accredited to the gym. But again, it's whatever the person feels right at the time. You know, I'm not really forceful on any of that stuff. The gym's happy to be working with them. I'm happy to be working with them. You know, so but we do have that that vision of you know. Bruce Buffer saying, and fighting out of Southside MMA, you know? So. Yeah. Well, it must it's, must be difficult for, uh, like, a UFC fighter because he's, he's definitely, uh, he's not a rookie. He's been in the game uh, probably, uh, he's probably been in the UFC three, four years now, right? Yeah, quite a while. And for them to make that leap from the U.S. to come to Thailand and, you know, th- whether he has kids or family or a girlfriend, but at least his parents, that's always a, a difficult challenge as well. Yeah, exactly. It's the same so. kind of thing that we face as yeah. well. Yeah, and once... Do you find like when you have those conversations, like after he's left the gym, they they get Thailand? They're like, yeah, I get it. This is why we're here. Here, go to one place. You can end up staying there for six hours at a time if you if you really wanted to. Yeah, and it seems <laughs> we, we did a um, me and Hans were with the Block Asset guys. We I, what was it? The Charles Oliveira, Islam Makachev. We were filming with Darren and Brendan. Yeah, we took all the equipment and went over there and just did a kind of like a fight companion or something. So we were filming and, and watching. But what I've noticed now, especially with Darren and Brendan, they kind of came and then they came again. This is almost turning into a second home to them. Brendan's one of those people. Brendan's been coming here for years. Yeah. Brendan's like 10 years on. And, you know, he's a fantastic dude. Brendan's part of the reason why I met Darren because I'd known him for a long, long time. Um, but, yeah, everyone's slowly starting to understand, like, the amount of work you can get in over here compared to what's home the like everyone once you start to come once twice three four times you realize that you're actually getting more distractions by being around your friends and your family rather than being out here you know what i mean yeah you miss your family but you don't have the distraction of the same thing you know what i mean all the obligations that you might have to have to do so it's like people that are in this for a career you know what i mean if you have chosen mma muay thai whatever it may be to put food on your table to make sure your family's got a fucking roof over their head you have to separate yourself from the others, you know. You've got to come out here and you've got to be working every day. This is now, I truly believe this is now the best place to be if you're a, a aspiring martial artist or a full-time martial artist. Yeah, don't tell too many people. It's, yeah. <laughs> I think it's getting uh, it's getting to that point. We're actually, I'm looking to kind of move more towards the airport, actually just north north of Bangtao. Yeah. And I'm already planning, uh, we're going to eventually move to Pungna City. That's my goal. Like five year goal. Yeah. Oh man, I've spent some weekends there. It's awesome. Like the actual city. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you can get this mountain view. I mean, shouldn't even be talking about this. No, <laughs> it's shit. Don't, out, go. Yeah, don't go there. Guys. No, but it's it, it's 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 when you're near. You know, when you're near the ocean so long. Like I, I I live right on the beach. I might go three months without putting a toe in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of like take it for granted. Yeah, you just take it for granted. You forget about it. But yeah, Pangna City. It's man. It's. It's only 10 minutes to that beach, but it's a fishing village. Yeah, yeah. But that's great. You can hop on a long tail and be at an island. You're f- we checked the like Google Maps. You're 45 minutes to Aonang Pier. So, Shit. boom, rally. Two hours to the Koh Samui Ferry. Yeah, yeah. So now Koh Samui becomes something you can do on a weekend. Weekend, yeah, We yeah. can't do weekends no. to Koh Samui from here. It's, it's just, like a four-hour trip from here, you know, just to get yeah, to the ferry. Then you gotta get the and ferry. you got to come back Sunday.
One. Um, hour 12. Oh, perfect. That's, yeah, you got to be under 119. Perfect. Okay, uh, just before we wrap it up, I'm gonna, is it this camera? Yeah. I'm just going to kick this camera over to Sammy and just let everyone kind of know your socials, where they can find you, and we'll put all those links in the description as well. That one. Stare into the soul of your audience. <laughs> uh, hi, guys. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Really appreciate it. So, uh, Instagram at Sammy Cass. Uh, obviously, Southside MMA Thailand. Get down there, guys. Come see why we're starting to be the biggest name on the island. Uh, come enjoy our, our facilities and have a good day. That's it. Yeah, I'm terrible at ending these. I've done like 90 and I have no idea. Okay, so thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, we got our mushroom supplements. We are actually number one for Lion's Mane in all of Thailand. We did it in 30 days. We've sold over 1,000 bottles. And now we're starting to get uh, this lifestyle marketing going. So we didn't expect it. So thanks to you guys. If you've been buying the products, links are in the description. It's only purchased on Lazada. It's only for Thailand. We will not go to the U.S. We're keeping this pure Thai-based brand. Uh, this is made in Thailand, Thai FDA. Uh, so if you're in the U.S. and you want this too bad, you can't get it. And that ends another episode. We're out. We're out.